Okay. I oh I do every time. Okay. One of these days, Sam's not gonna start off the show with okay. What should I start? Like, what would be a? I could do like a a scripted. I say the same thing every single time kind of thing. Yeah, like a. Welcome to whose line is it anyway? Where everything's made up and the points don't matter. Like not that, but yeah. something like yeah, that. Yeah, that works. That's good. Welcome to Theology Thursday, where everything's made up. <laughs> <laughs> that that works. And the facts don't matter. Welcome everybody. I see uh, several people. Jacob was 115 minutes early, and I'm going to choose to believe that um, he's been sitting here waiting the whole time. Now, let us know you're here. Send it, put in a comment because we got our stream is saying that there's no one on, but I think that's just our software. So put a comment. We know there's people because they're talking. Yeah. Well, they were talking. Oh, there. here we go. All right, yeah, everybody. There we go. In. It's updating. 23. 77. Yeah, it's working now. 123. Okay, let's get to the normal. Yeah, 2,456. Right below our usual average now of yeah. 5,237. I mean, to be fair, that, that would be 50% of our usual average, not right below it, but you know, it's not a math yeah. podcast. Yeah, okay. David Hello Gomez. and good evening, everybody. Hey, we're good. talking heavy stuff again. We are. We're get, we're, we've been weird in this series. It's funny. We like We ended the first week and Kevin was like, you guys went weird with that, um, which is not like it's not like we I just said, Kevin, you're weird. So who are you to judge, man? That's true. That's in the Bible, by the way. Who are you to judge? OK, so, OK, we're going to talk. Well, before that, let's talk about what's happening next week and then we'll talk about it again at the end. Yes. Next week, um, we're going to finish out this series with a Q&A. So um, we've been talking about angels, demons, the Satan um, other spiritual beings and kind of the spirit world. So if you guys have any questions about anything along those lines, about angels, spiritual warfare, things that we've discussed, or just stuff that's kind of in yeah. that realm at all, um, please feel free to reach out. Send me an email. More so than that, more than please feel free. We need you to. Next week will be lame <laughs> if we don't get good questions. That's true. It yeah. is a live Q&A session. You can pre-submit your questions. They send them to you. Yeah, send them to me. Kevin's going to br- put my, uh, my email, email up Email address the up. Send them to Sam. Don't send them to me. Yeah, just send, send them, them to Sam. Me. That, um, that, and you can come with them live as well. Feel free to come and um, you know ask a question. But I would love to get them ahead of time because that gives us the comfort of knowing we have enough to talk about. Um, I mean, we could, we could riff about angels and demons all day, but I'd rather answer we your questions. We want to do real Q&A on it. There's so, um, and by the way, just if you have other questions about theology or stuff, we'll prioritize stuff that's about spirit, the spirit realm. But if you got other stuff, yeah. But if it's like two questions came in, but there's some questions about like gardening, yeah, and we'll get to that too. Yeah, we could call in the obsessive gardener. Yeah. By the way, I, Kevin and I, ate some really spicy habaneros the other day. Um, how are you feeling, Kevin? He's okay. I'm totally good. Yeah, Kevin. Kevin's tough. And when Kevin's not tough, Kevin talks tough about yeah. hot pepper. So like, that's true. Kevin, your poker face. Me and Kevin ate the same thing, and I'm like, I know this. F- pain receptors are just pain receptors. Like I know this feels the same way for mm-hmm. you that it feels for me. But Kevin got a tough face. Kim Becerra says she had nightmares um, from from the series from the peppers. No, I think from the from talking from how weird we got talking about angels and demons in the spirit world. Probably just looking at your mug give you nightmares, man. That could be. It could be from the close up on. My yeah, on my when screen. that close up goes to you, man. How oh, obsessive I gardeners I here. I had nightmares too. That's awesome. Have not eaten a ghost pepper, obsessive gardener. But you could fix that. You could fix that. As soon as he says they're spiritual, and then Joey Rivera says that because of last week's episode, he bought Michael Heiser's book, The Unseen Realm, and the companion book to First Enoch which is next level. That is next level. So please enjoy. Um, My kid's saying hello. Oh, yeah. Hello, baby. Hi, Sam. Hi, Dada. I'm assuming that's Anaya. Anaya's got some theological chops, by the way. She did, you know, and we'll get started right after this. (laughs) But last Sunday when I preached, I asked her how'd she like it, and she goes... Um, oh, no. it wasn't really like a theology Thursday. Oh, I like theology Thursday. Did she really say that? She said something along the lines of it. You know what the biggest difference is between you preaching on a Sunday and theology Thursday? I don't. My presence there. That well, that was. I think that was the subtle implication. <laughs> I think so too. I'm just saying. So yes. yeah, send in your questions. We'll remind you again at the end. But next week is going to be um, 
all Q&A about this stuff. So email them to me, sam at svccchurch.com, and um, we'll, we'll talk about what you guys want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So tonight we're going to talk spiritual warfare. And I think um, there's some stuff that has to be reviewed before we get into that, just so that what we talk about even makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got to keep it somewhat brief. So like we said last week. Yeah, lightning round. Hopefully you've watched already. Hopefully you've watched in previous weeks. Um, but if you haven't, here's the really quick lightning round version. Feel free to jump in if there's anything I forgot. No, you take it. We covered the fact that um, when the Bible talks about spiritual beings, it's not a simple dichotomy of angels and demons and then you know God and Satan. But, but the Bible's description of the spirit world includes really diverse and unclear types of beings. There's seraphim, cherubim, things, spirits called things like the Prince of Persia, mm-hmm. um, and any number of other things. It seems like a diversely populated realm, including um, basically God's council room, which we call the divine council, the place where God sits, kind of his command center, surrounded by spiritual beings to whom he has conferred the right to kind of participate in his planning and execution of what he does in the spiritual world. Um, In addition to that, we talked about the term Elohim and the fact that it's a plural word that sometimes is used to describe just the one God of Israel, but is also a word for the category of spiritual being, the type of being Mm -hmm. that God is. So there are times when we read the word God's lowercase g, and we as modern Christians want to just say those are all just demons pretending to be gods, but the Bible has a lot more nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, anything on that that I that I muddled no. or that I missed? Um, and then lastly, and this is really important for tonight when we talk about spiritual warfare, um, I want, I'm going to answer Christina Gomez's question after this because it's a good one. Um, actually, we're going to probably get to it today. We talked last week about Genesis 6 and how it seems to tell the story of the spirit world's rebellion, meaning yeah. we have Genesis 3, that's the story of humanity's rebellion against God and subsequent fall. And then Genesis 6 tells the story of spiritual beings crossing a boundary put in place by God, having this some sort of a intimate relationship with human beings mm-hmm. that results in corruption of humanity and actually leads to the flood. And that's really interesting because, you know, it kind of going along the lines of what we're going to talk about tonight, there's a clear connection between evil spiritual beings and their rebellion against God and evil corrupt human beings and our rebellion against God. They seem to go hand in hand all throughout the Bible. I mean, what does God want his people to avoid when they're in Canaan, right? It's like, don't worship their gods or practice their customs. Mm -hmm. The kind of human evil and spiritual evil seems to go hand in hand. Anything else that I missed? No, just that one of the I don't know why I said no because I'm (laughs) saying The answer is yes. No, but yeah. Um, (laughs) We could talk about the Genesis 6 passage as the fall of the spiritual beings, but as we said in the two previous weeks, it might be a partial fall or a a group of spiritual beings falling at that time yeah. in that um, what we've been exploring is that we've inherited a view of the story that basically says there was a fall by Satan and all these bad angels at a given point yeah. before the Adam and Eve. 30% of all the angels fell with him. And it's possible, again, that... In the spiritual world, there are there's a diverse array of spiritual beings, and some have remained faithful to God, and some have not. But some might have started their rebellion very early on. Some might have started in Genesis 6. We explored the idea of there might have been subsequent to Genesis 6 yeah. additional beings that this participated. This might be a, a pattern of behavior that So recurs. yeah, there, there's, and it's just, we don't know with certainty, but there appears to be at least a possibility, a strong possibility, I would say, that within the spiritual realm, there are ways in which spiritual beings are being faithful and unfaithful. Um, and there's a certain point where it's like they completely turn over to the, to the dark side. Yeah. You know, it's like before you're just dabbling in the dark side and God doesn't like kick you out of the council yet type of thing. Yeah. But then there could be a level where it's like you've gone too far. With Satan, with the serpent, he's specifically cursed at that point. Yeah. It's almost, it appears as if it's a point of no return for him. Yeah. And that's, and that gets to the question that was asked by Christina Gomez, which is how does God feel about Lucifer in Job? He seems to speak to him without hate. Um, and that's a, it's a great point. We talked about the fact that in the book of Job, the Satan, which is what he's called in that book, the accuser is presented almost morally neutral. Yes. Like, you know, you know that he's a bad guy because of what the rest of scripture says, but 
he sort of seems like he shows up in the divine council and just does his job in that mm-hmm. book. He accuses Job. Um, but again, the, you know, the impact on Job's life and all of that, there's definitely a tinge of antagonism to it. Um, and yeah. who knows if I'm reading that in as someone who knows more about Satan from the rest of scripture. Um, but I would say, Christina, that if you take the rest of the witness of scripture and the way that God is, has interacted with Satan and will interact with Satan in the future, there's no question that he, that he is his enemy. It's not, I, I don't want to use the word hate though. You know, you said talk about speaking to him without hate, but the, there's no question that God is going to finally defeat and destroy him in the future. Is that fair? Yeah. Because, um, I mean, when we talk about, it's very difficult when you talk about God's attributes, um, and, it's not, I wouldn't use the word hate necessarily. I would say that God's love for justice and his, his rightfully being concerned with his own glory demands that something must be done to such evil, vile wickedness. And that climaxes in the book of Revelation right. when Satan finally meets his doom and God isn't appearing like, like oh man, I blew it or, yeah. or yeah, let me, let me rub it in his face. It's more of just, this, this is, is righteous, ju- righteous, just justice being served. And God is about justice and receiving, you know, his own glory. And that's how the story of the Satan ends. Yeah. Now obsessive gardener asked if we're going to talk about the Nephilim and he even said, hashtag controversial. Um, we talked about it in depth last week, obsessive. So I encourage you to go watch part three. We went, deep too. I mean, we talked about the intertestamental idea that demons are the disembodied spirits. We went all the way in on that, but we did it in week three. So highly encourage you to to go back and watch that one if you're interested. Um, So tonight we're going to talk about the basic question, which kind of Christina got us started on, which is what is God going to do about this? What is God doing Mm -hmm. about spiritual rebellion? And then how do Christians participate? Because that's ultimately the spiritual warfare Mm -hmm. question. Now, I think we, to, in order to start that, um, we got to talk about kind of like our Christian slash pop culture view of what spiritual warfare is like. Yeah. yeah. And you as a young Christian, what did you think when you thought spiritual warfare? Scary stuff. Yeah, it was always scary. Just be wondering if I'm going to see something in the dark or. Yeah, like a demon is going to manifest. Yeah, something, something, you know, in your closet. Hiding in there, yeah, or th- or like a very clear like, like demonic possession. A demon took control of someone's body and is kind of yeah. Well, around. the big thing, I mean, what was the most influential, at least in American movies, was Kevin probably remember seeing this in the theaters was uh, The Exorcist. You know, that's um, a joke, but I'll, did did you see The Exorcist in theaters, Kevin? Yeah, I did not. No, come on, man, just be <laughs> honest, man. You went to go see it in the theaters, and you know he went, you know. It was on date night, and he was thinking, you know, date is going to cuddle up because it's so scary. Yeah. But, you know, he's, he's by the end of it, he's terrified, and, and he's walking out, and, you know. You know what the thing about The Exorcist is? is So it's about spiritual warfare. It's like the most famous demonic possession movie, although there are tons of other ones. Yeah. But the other interesting thing about The Exorcist is that when it was released, there was a bunch of spiritual warfare rumors and stuff about the movie. So, like, I remember one of my friend's moms saying that she went to the exorcist wearing a crucifix necklace, and when she left, it wasn't on her anymore. Yeah, there was tons of stories like that. And that happens often with with certain certain cultural phenomena like that. The Omen was like that too, right? I don't know, but probably. But that's, that's another movie. And in a sense, you know, here's the thing is modern people have sort of banished the spiritual, it's like, we don't believe in that weird, weird stuff and anymore and stuff, but there's like, there's something deep down inside of us that is so inconsistent because when that movie's released, you want to go see it. Oh yeah. And then they just, they, I mean, they make copycats of this and they're not as big as the original, but they still are making money. That's why they still do it. There's this deep desire to like confront the evil in the spiritual realm and you do it vicariously through these, through these movies. Um, so in one sense, I appreciate, I mean, the, the copycats probably don't, but in one sense, it allows people to, to begin to use 
their minds in a way that they've totally blocked out. Yeah. It's like, th- dude, there's some real evil stuff here and it, it manifests and has real world implications. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And I mean, there's a reason why these movies are so successful. <laughs> the it was released in 73. How old were you, Kevin? 22? Kevin was, Kevin was three. 33? <laughs> can't have been dating. Dude, I love Kevin um, defending himself in the chat. <laughs> he was 33, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, there that it is a such a popular subgenre. Oh yeah, Obsessive Gardener, um, Passion of the Christ had a bunch of cri- like Jim Caviezel got struck by lightning when he was up on the cross. Was Dude, a story that, that I think that happened. That happened. It, that's true. And there was a bunch of. Why are you laughing, Kevin? It's true. Because that happened. It yeah. did. I hope that means unlike me dating when I was three. Look, no, you forgot y- to carry the one. He was you, were, you were about 33, 13, something, but you were, you, you were there, man. We know Kevin's mom, and we can ask how old he really is. Yeah, Kevin's, um, he's up there. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so you get all those kinds of things. And I remember even as a Christian, there are some ideas in kind of Christian culture about spiritual warfare that I later as an adult realized, like, there's no basis for this in Scripture. In fact, like, the opposite might be true. Like, I, I remember hearing, or at least coming to the conclusion at some point that, like all you had to do if you were confronted by spiritual evil was say the name of Jesus. Yeah. That it was that in speaking the name of Jesus, it would go away. And um, like in like truly in a magical way, like yeah. it's a magic word that demons can't hear. Like they'll run, they'll have to run away from you. Um, and it's only, you know, as an adult that you read, like there's a story in the Bible about dudes who try to do that to a demon. Yeah. They say, you know, we command you to leave in the name of Paul, of Jesus and Paul who serves him. Mm-hmm. And the demon famously says to these seven exorcist brothers, it's such a creepy line in the yeah. Bible. The, the demon says, I know Paul uh, or I know Jesus and I've heard about Paul, but who are you guys? Yeah. And then beats them up, takes their clothes off and they run away naked. Yeah. It's pretty bad. And I remember reading that and being like, well, it, it's, it's clearly not a magical thing. So anyway, tonight kind of our goal is to, to disentangle some of that kind yeah. of like, fictional or at least kind of exaggerated ideas and get down to the heart of how does the Bible actually describe this? And unsurprisingly, the Bible has a lot more to say about what Jesus has done and is doing on our behalf in the spirit world than it does about like, you know, a practical how to on how to battle demons or something. Yeah. And almost how like to, to be in shape spiritually so that, you don't get jacked type type of yeah. thing. Now that's not to say again, because there's a temptation to shy away from the weird stuff. There are exorcisms in the Bible. Totally. Um, there are these demonic manifestations and they are there. You don't want to shy away from them or be embarrassed by them. But when it gives like on the ground teaching to believers, it's not like go out there and demon hunt yeah. type of thing. Yeah. And that's a great caveat to give because both of us in ministry for a long time have experienced stuff like that. So we're not trying yeah, absolutely. to say, we're not trying to say there's no such thing as demonic oppression or that you that they don't manifest in a way similar to what you see in movies, quite frankly. Um, but it's just not it's not the the emphasis the Bible takes when it talks about Christians engaging with the spirit. Yeah, so there's powers. a there's a rapper that Sam and I both know in the Christian. I, I was industry. thinking about him this whole so time. Shouldn't bring him up, but uh, he he's got some flows, man. He got some good flows. Uh, T Bone, but T-bone. I don't know. I don't know what he, how it is now. But back in the day, like his albums were like the demon. I'm executor. going demon hunting. I'm going. Yeah. I'm the demon executor hitting switches tonight. Yeah, type of thing with lyrical bullets of salvation. Yeah, lyrical bullets of salvation. I'll man. bet we could do an entire T Bone song with our two heads together if we wanted to right now. We probably can. If you're out there and you're watching this right now, you we will have you on as a guest, 100. percent Maybe not. Um, so yeah, but your flows were <laughs> awesome. But in the early <laughs> days, you were a little bit too focused on the demon hunting. Little too fo- I mean, I th- there was a thing about this kind of '90s gangster rap thing, and he was trying to take that That's right. that feel and do it in a Christian appropriate way. So I'm not going to go bust caps on humans. Yeah. I have to bust lyrical bullets of salvation on some yeah, demons. Yeah, in the spiritual realm. And that's sort of Ephesians yeah. 6. So, yeah, it was it was a good effort, and we're, we're not knocking it, except maybe it was a little too focused yeah. on the demon. Just Dial back the tech nines and, yeah, and all yeah, of that yeah. stuff. But um, all of that to say is that there's this, you you can get obsessed with it, and then it becomes like you're looking yeah. everywhere, and I got to be ready. And the reason why this person is acting this way is because there's some demonic possession, and it's like, the Bible gives us commands on how to prep for spiritual warfare. Yeah. And it doesn't look like that, but 
it allows for those occurrences to happen and has examples, namely by mostly by Jesus, but by others, well, by Jesus of what to do in those situations. Yeah. Now to answer uh, George's question before we move on, George is asking, where is that story in the Bible of the demon beating up a Christian? Um, I want to read, it's a great question and it helps me clarify this though. The men who are beat up by the demon are not Christians. That's a, that's an important part of the story. They're not followers of Jesus. They are itinerant exorcists. They're Jewish. Uh, we don't know what their deal is spiritually, but they're ethnically at least Jewish. Um, they're the sons, the seven sons of Sceva. Kevin's looking up the actual passage. Acts chapter seven. There's no way that's true. That's Stephen's speech. <laughs> um, oh, obsessive gardener likes T-bone. We got to be friends, obsessive gardener in real life. So yeah, Georgia, it's a really, it's in the book of Acts. I Kevin's don't looking where. it up. I'm close. Um, but yeah, it's uh, Acts 19. Well, I mean, seven plus 12, the number of Israel is 19. Yeah, so that must have been what you were thinking. That was in my mind. Uh, so, so yeah, um, it's important. It's an important part of the story. They're not Christians. And that's kind of the point is that, uh, um, and not to, you know, jump ahead of what we're going to talk about, but the power is not in pronouncing a certain name. It's in taking shelter under the wings of the rightful king yes. of the universe. And so that's why Christians are safe, not because they know a magic word to say. And this, yes. the sons of Sceva find out the hard way that... Um, the word isn't. Don't the thing be that messing does. around, man. Don't don't pull out your tech nine on the demons. Um, okay, so to start the conversation about what God is doing in the t- in terms of spiritual warfare, we got to go back to where we started this entire series, which is Psalm eighty two. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin, if you could pull up my screen for people, um, yeah, check it out. Let us know in the chat if that's too small. Maybe I'll just. It looks a little small. I'll just make it a little bit bigger. Um, so it says, and all of these words, hopefully, if we've done our job right, will a lot of these terms will make more sense now at the end of the series. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the Elohim, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Uh, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Now, hear this, because this is the key. I said, you are Elohim, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. And then this is the, the closing verse, the psalmist's exhortation. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations, all the nations. Um, it's important. I, inherit is a, a fine translation of that, but it just means to take possession of. Mm. So the psalmist is, the psalmist says that God says, all of you spiritual beings, I'm judging you for failing to do your job well, and I am going to destroy you. And the psalmist ends the song by saying, rise up, take back the nations that were under the power of these rebellious Elohim. Mm. So that's an Old Testament kind of forward-looking promise at what God is going to do. So there's a, an important kind of r- reality here that we talk about um, quite a bit in church, which is the already not yet of what God has done and is going to do. So there's kind of a, a present tense judgment that in Jesus has been put upon these rebellious spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. And then there's kind of promises about what's going to happen in the future. You, you talk about that quite a bit as far as kind of like the present age and the age to come and how they overlap. Can you give folks like a quick version of that? Yeah, probably what helps is that the Jewish mind uh, split history into two piece, pieces, the Alam Hazay and the Alam Haba. And those are two Hebrew words meaning the age, the present age and the age to come. The present age was the present evil age. And that was highly influential upon the New Testament authors because you see Paul speaking in that type of language, like in this present evil age, X, Y, Z. Then there's the age to come. And the age to come was going to be marked out by a number of things. There would be um, a return from exile. There would be forgiveness of sin. There would be the salvation of Israel. So you, you see all of those things in the age to come. Now, oh, the, the biggest thing was that there would be resurrection. Right. Resurrection. Now, what happens in the New Testament is you get a a bringing of the future, the age to come into the present. So rather than having all of humanity receive resurrected bodies, one person receives a resurrected body, namely Jesus. And he's called the first fruit of the resurrection. He's like, like the a, down payment. In breaking of the age it's to the come. Br- in, so the, in Jesus, the age to come 
has broken in to the present evil age. So it's not here completely, but it's broken in. And because of that, some of the things that were supposed to occur in the age to come have been occurring in the present evil age. So you see that we're forgiven um, of our sins. There is the giving of the spirit. Um, But we still await resurrected bodies, final judgment. Um, And there's all kinds of different theological schemes to work out kind of what the differences are there. Like what is Satan allowed to do right now, you know, between now and when he's finally defeated. And so um, the reason that's important to understand is because the Bible talks about things that seem to be as yet future judgments that God is going to render upon rebellious spiritual beings, lowercase g gods. And then there's also very clear teachings in the New Testament about things that are happening that already happened at the mm-hmm. cross and the resurrection. So one example um, is Isaiah 34. This is super interesting. And this is the kind of thing that um, if you look at this and you have no like openness to the idea of other spiritual beings, you just kind of blow right past it. But listen to what this says. Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. And that word host, when it's used in that particular setting, is a, a heavenly host mm-hmm. type of language. So he's enraged at the nations, and he's enraged at the heavenly host. But hosts. with this the wrong lens, you just go, oh, they're armies. That's right. their, their armies. Yeah. And that's and part of that is linguistic, too, that it's, it, that it's a word that means host, but this particular form of the word, every other time it's used in the Old Testament, means heavenly host. It's mm-hmm. about spiritual beings. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over to slaughter. Now, verse four is where it gets really interesting. All the host of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. So when Isaiah is having a prophetic vision of the end of history, it's God finally defeating rebellious nations and simultaneously destroying rebellious spiritual beings. Um, There's another one in Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 24. But all the way down at verse 21. Yes. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven Mm -hmm. and the kings of the earth on the earth. How many of you have ever read the book of Isaiah and never noticed that verse? I mean, that is so straightforward. Yeah. And um, when he says on that day, that's a reference to that kind of final eschatological future day of the Lord day, which is still future to us as well. The, The Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. There's a verse coming that's so cool. They will be shut up in a prison, and after many days they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. What's up with the moon being confounded and the sun being ashamed? What does that mean if you're an ancient Near Eastern person? Who are the Lord's elders? (laughs) That's a good question. Michael Heiser talks about that. Yeah. And again, it's, it's just, it's a good lesson to slow down when you read because there are probably plenty of people watching right now who have read the book of Isaiah at yeah. some point and never noticed that you Yahweh... The, the God's got elders? And, what, and he's going to shame the sun and the moon mm-hmm. on the day of the Lord? I mean, this is clearly a polemic against the gods of other nations who included the sun and the moon mm-hmm. and the stars. I mean, that's kind of, these celestial bodies were considered by other nations to be gods. Um, And so finally, in the New Testament, where it becomes really clear that this is still future, is in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. It's a famous verse. Then comes the end. Oh, yeah, let's start at verse 23, because it actually talks about what Isaac just talked about. Each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So when Paul talks about, and we're, we're entering into language that we're going to see a bunch more tonight, mm-hmm. when Paul in the New Testament talks about authorities and powers and rulers, who's he talking about? Yeah, these are spiritual beings, and they've been at work doing evil in the spiritual realm that has real-life implications for the physical realm. Um and, and what's interesting, this is the already not yet thing, is in one sense, the Christian believes Satan and those who follow in his footsteps have been defeated. But in that verse, 
it clearly says on the final day, God, Christ will deliver it over to God the Father because from the cross till that point, he has been defeating his enemies. Yeah. And it's this picture of like the conquering Christ who has been going out through all of the nations, conquering his foes and his enemies. And when the last one to be, when the last one is defeated, which then it goes on, it says the last one to be defeated is death, death. itself. Yeah. Then Christ hands it over to God. The Father. And if you pair, this is what's so awesome about the Bible. If you see the whole scope of it is in Isaiah 34, there's this promise that God is going to destroy the hosts of the rebellious hosts yes. of heaven. And all the way, hundreds of years later, you have Paul write, on that day, Jesus will have destroyed all of yes. his, all the powers and rulers who oppose him. So that promise is carried all the way through that God is not just going to deal with rebellious humanity, but he is going to deal with the rebellious of the spiritual world as well. Yeah. Um, now, you see that, that kind of future victory telegraphed there. But the New Testament also talks about like the present victory that Jesus already mm. has, like you talked about. I mean, I think one example of this that, that gets missed a lot when it comes to kind of pop culture, spiritual warfare, is that Jesus in the Gospels, when he interacts with demons, there is no contest going on. Mm. I mean, we don't even need to pull up verses because it happens dozens of times throughout the Gospels. But like, think about it, you who are watching. When you read the Bible and Jesus encounters a demon, is there ever like rituals and magic words and like, things he had objects he has to have or like specific ways that it's just they beg for mercy and he tells them what to do yeah and to the point of already not yet and jesus still going about conquering it's even more weird yeah because they like try to negotiate they're like oh man let's like we know you're in charge but man can can you just throw us into these pigs over here yeah what's that about maybe that'll give you the yeah ask a question about that for next week but it's this weird sort of negotiation type of thing that is taking place think about the ones that say have you come with what we just saw in isaiah they say have you come to punish us before the time yes like even these rebellious spiritual beings know there's a time appointed when we're going to get punished but it's not supposed to happen yet like what are you doing here um but the thing that's so comforting to me and, and was, I remember this even being comforting when I was a little kid and scared about demons and stuff was like, Jesus does not fight with them. They do whatever he says. There's mm-hmm. just a clear authority and power division there. They beg for mercy or they kind of, there are times when he tells them, hey, they'll say like, oh, you're the son of the most high. And he'll be like, shut up. People, I'm not supposed, people aren't yeah. supposed to know that yet. Um, but the only point I want to make there is just that when he interacts with them, it's just, it's not the arm wrestling yeah. thing that we talked about. He's got, and this is before the resurrection. Mm-hmm. It's just in his earthly life in the incarnation, no question. Now, another um, really powerful verse that talks about what's already happened is in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 is one giant sentence, so we're just going to have to jump right into the middle of it. Um, but it's this kind of giant exposition of the, oh, Drew Dowler saying, what up? Uh, better late than never. Welcome to the, welcome to the stream. <laughs> You can't see Isaac Drew, but he doesn't he doesn't seem to agree that it's better to be late than to be never. No, I mean you missed thirty minutes of theology Thursday, man. What's what you got going is so important. He's probably chasing a puppy around. Man. Drew, if your dog is the reason why you were late tonight, go ahead and just uh give us a thumbs up, like this video. <laughs> All right, so we're jumping kind of into the middle of a sentence here. Um, where it's talking about the kind of greatness of the accomplishment of Jesus at the cross. And it says, starting at verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his God's power toward us who believe according to the workings of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Here's the key. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So there's another example of what we were talking about, right? So in some sense, Jesus in the resurrection is already placed in a position of absolute authority over every other spiritual being. And it's important to note, you have to understand, so the bigger context, as Sam said, is one big sentence. Ephesians has a, so depending upon what you're reading, they might emphasize the age to come component, or they might be emphasizing the, the present evil age. What Paul does in this passage is it's weird because he goes to extremes. He's like the present evil age. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Everyone on this earth is his slave. But then he goes to believers. You are already seated in heavenly places. And you're going like, 
I'm not seated in heavenly places. I'm seated in this chair right here, yeah. man. I'm not seated and don't feel like I'm seated in the heavenly places. Yeah. But Paul takes that eschatological truth of which will be, and it he it's it's as if he's saying the future is so certain and so true, it's more true than your present condition. Yeah. You are already seated in heavenly places. So th- you, you got to look at the context because the scriptural authors will emphasize those two sides in, in, in unique ways. Yeah, and so here you have this idea that this Jesus, who Paul in 1 Corinthians says, is going to defeat all of these powers and destroy them before he hands the kingdom over to yeah. the Father. And he's saying, all, but already in the resurrection, he has absolute unquestionable authority over them. They're under his feet. Um, there's another There's another section. It's one of my favorite lines in the Bible is that Christ publicly disarms the yeah, powers. Yeah, let's look that up. That's Colossians 2. So it's 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 like Christ has publicly disarmed them. And it's, it's an interesting word because what does it mean to disarm the powers? Are they defeated? Are they done? Do they got any fight left? Or, or are they, they no longer have the ability to stop the conquering Christ? from reclaiming the yeah. nations. Yeah, and that, that sort of goes along with what Jesus says um, when he's talking to some Pharisees, and he talks about how if you want to plunder the strong man's goods, mm-hmm. you have to go in and tie him up first. And that's like such a weird verse, but when you compare it with these passages, this is what he's talking about, that there's some kind of a claim that these beings have on humanity. It's unclear how that works, but something about what Jesus has accomplished in his death and resurrection has taken their claim off of humanity yes. and taken away their ability to hold on to you. And you now are, you have no kind of legal constraint. This is how Michael Heiser talks about mm-hmm. There's no longer a legal constraint against you leaving the kingdom of darkness and joining mm-hmm. the kingdom of light. Um, and looking up that verse you were just quoting in Colossians 2, starting at verse 13, this is what's so cool is that this personalizes it and makes it about Christians. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So there's this sense in which what Jesus has done at the cross is to defeat all of these powers, triumph over them, They've lost all of their power over the nations in that sense. Um, but again, there's an ongoing struggle between now and the second coming as far as how that all works itself out. Yeah. Now, what do you think? This is just kind of a random question I have that's... Um, <laughs> the obsessive gardener says, that's right, Satan is all bound up. Hashtag dat post mill. Um, I'm just going to... That dude is more like us than... I know. You should be our friend, obsessive gardener. Um Although, you know, an argument can be made that all millennialists believe the same thing. So, uh, <laughs> not dat, that. I dat post mill after he quoted T Bone. Dat post mill, he knows about T Bone. Man, he was here on time. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a big. <laughs> Actually, bit. Drew Dowler, in his own defense, said, Who said I'm late? I can save my what up for whenever. Um, chat don't believe that for a moment. Nope, the chat don't. don't believe that. I don't believe it. Chat here, don't believe here's it. a question for you because this is, this is kind of interesting and it has to do with this idea. There's a. Well, at some point on Theology Thursday, we'll talk about different atonement theories. But when it comes to Jesus at the cross defeating spiritual powers of evil, um, there's this teaching also in the New Testament that talks about how if the rulers and authorities had known what God was up to, they would never have crucified him. Yeah. What's up with that? So that's so interesting. And this is what we're hoping to do. And even if you don't agree with the lens that we're trying to demonstrate you can see scriptures through. I want you to just think about how how much our categories and ways of seeing things predetermine our interpretation. Because typically when people read that if the rulers and powers had known, they would not have crucified him. They immediately go, oh well that's like the Roman soldiers. Yeah. Roman soldiers and Jewish leaders. And 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 that's a that's possible. And that those those words that the what they're translated from in Greek, that's possible. Um but the scriptures typically we'll use those words for spiritual beings or what it, my favorite way of looking yeah. at it is even if it's an earthly power, there's a spiritual animating force behind it. So uh, one sense you could just say, oh, if the Roman soldiers knew Jesus was God, they wouldn't have crucified him just like the Roman centurion. Truly this man was the son of God. Right. Or you can say that as Jesus comes to earth in the incarnation, the spiritual beings don't know what the plan of God is. They have no clue. 
Nobody in their right mind, human or spiritual being, would have ever thought that God himself right. would actually come down to earth and then allow himself to be crucified. Well, and think again about the demon saying, why are you, have you come to this isn't your destroy us time. before the time? Yeah. And so it's like, maybe, maybe Jesus is coming and he's trying to get humanity back on track. Well, let's, let's, let's really get him. And so, uh, this let's is kill him before he can raise an army up, et cetera. Et exactly. Cetera. And so, uh, this is where the, um, the great Aslan of Canterbury is a great <laughs> illustration <laughs> because in Chronicles of Narnia, it's the, it's the perfect scene. Um, when the witch is, has Aslan, Aslan on the altar. Stone table. Yeah, stone, oh, yeah, on the stone table. You, you know better than me. <laughs> I know my you, Narnia. Yeah, I, I, I will watch the movie. He was homeschooled. Um, <laughs> <and> You've read <laughs> the Chronicles of Narnia. Don't confess it on here. We'll talk later. <laughs> I, I, read, I read it to my daughter, <laughs> Anaya. She's, she's listening. We got to that part about Santa Claus. We're like, what's going on here, man? So, but it's, it's in the movie, it's creepy. It's creepy because the lion is laying in all the demon figures. It's so creepy, by the way, that it's bizarre that it's in that movie. Yeah, because they really went hard on the PG aspect of it. They're like, we're not making a Lord of the Rings. Yeah. We're going to make this a kid's movie. And it's all like Mr. Tumnus and the kids are eating cookies and they're Santa Claus. And then all of a sudden you're like, There's like gargoyle as an adult, demon you're creature. going, this is dark. This is really dark. Yeah, the, the gargoyles, the demons, and they're they're cutting off his, his mane. It's like they're mocking him. And then it's so creepy. The oh, What's her name? The actress. She does a beautiful- Tilda Swinton? I don't think so. Um, I always get Tilda Swinton mixed up with whoever the actual actress is. Are we talking about the white witch? Or yes. The white yeah. witch? That's Tilda Swinton. Yes. I think you're both wrong. Um, Googling it while you talk. Google it right now while I'm talking. Um, <laughs> but she's like rejoicing. Yeah. And, and like you, she's experiencing this like super happy feeling. Let's see. Chronicles of Narnia. Tilda Swinton. Oh, look, they're both lying. That's not what it says, what I'm looking at. Um, so, Tilda Matil- so Matilda's up there, and she's rejoicing. <laughs> and, and it's like, That'd be an interesting actress it's, choice. It's, it's, it's really Yeah, creepy. it's almost like a worshipful moment, but that's a bad, evil. That's the she, word I'm looking there's for. Like a, there's like a exhortation of worship in the way she's like exulting over him. Yeah, it, it, it felt like as if they said, we want to bring to life the feeling a vampire gets when they drink blood, yeah. is what it's like. And... That image is what is possibly taking place in the New Testament. The demons are surrounding Jesus at the cross, and they think they're winning. God sent his son, and he was going to do some restoration plan for Israel to bring Israel back because they have gone rebellious. And guess what? God is not only reclaiming Israel, he's disarming you, triumphing over you. Now he's in the business of reclaiming all of the nations back to you. Just like he said he would do in Isaiah. Just like he said. And so there's something about that that's so like, again, it's not crystal clear and there's different opinions on this, but the image of almost like, like I think you've described it this way before, maybe via N.T. Wright, via you, Mm -hmm. because this sounds like an N.T. Wright thought also that, that, um, he got it from me. Jesus, (laughs) (laughs) he listens to Theology Thursday, that Jesus is almost luring out all of the spiritual powers of evil to kind of surround him. And it's very Aslan on the stone table. He says, I think Wright says he lures them into the snare of the cross. Yeah. Which again, there's a great mystery there. It's not, it's not an easy, clean arithmetic that works that out. But Paul is clear that somehow at the cross, Jesus is defeating and disarming the spiritual powers. And one day in the future, he'll destroy them all. So there's a reason why we're spending um, 45 of our 60 minutes on this part, because when it comes to spiritual warfare, if there's one thing you take away tonight, the main spiritual warfare actor is God, not humanity. So when it comes to fighting spiritual evil, this is primarily God's job. Yes. Yeah. And one other thing I want to say to that is that image that we're presenting is a powerful image that you need to see laid upon Jesus. We say Jesus is the lamb of God, but he's also the conquering lion. Yeah. And at the cross, both of those meet. And the verse from first Corinthians is the climax of that, where once all of his enemies defeat him. And this is a powerful image. The spiritual beings are at work in all of the nations deceiving them. Jesus comes and he appears to be doing something. Maybe he's just saving Israel. 
We don't know. But whatever it is, the spiritual beings think that they can take him out. So a collective humanity of Jew and Gentile, Romans and Jewish people in the Gospels, representative of all of humanity, and the, the spiritual beings all unite, all of the created order, if you will, unite to kill God. But in that, God lays the trap. And through his suffering, he then conquers death, resurrects, and now for 2,000 years, and for who knows how long forever, has been in the business of conquering his enemies one by one, taking back the nations. And on a very practical level, whether you're a Christian or not, what has the last 2,000 years of human history displayed? Yeah. Little by little, like a tiny mustard seed that turns into a big tree, Christianity, the gospel, has gone out to the nations. And with every passing year, more people claim allegiance to Jesus than ever before. Yeah. And it's a powerful image to see Jesus, the conqueror, who goes and reclaims his people from evil beings. And the way he does it is by dying for his enemies rather than, you know, going Street Fighter yeah. 2 turbo on all the demons. Um, so, yeah, it's incredibly powerful image. Um, okay. Caden Booth, hey, Pastor, showed it pretty late to this live. I see the title of the video and C.S. Lewis' work behind you. Has there been any mention on S Lewis's screw tape letters yet? There has not, but that's a great point. Man. That one's actually my favorite. Your favorite Lewis book? Yeah, by far. It's, it's, we don't have, there, we probably can't really comment on it other than to highly recommend it. Um, and to say that the vast majority of C.S. Lewis quotes especially from the screw tape letters that yes. you see online on Facebook Thank are you. not from C.S. Lewis. Dude, people just <laughs> make stuff up and they put C.S. Lewis screw tape letters it's and it ain't, it's not from there. It is a gigantic pet peeve. There are tons of like very COVID-19 specific sounding things that are like, and then Satan says in the screw tape letters, yeah. I will create fear of a virus and they will hide at home. And, yeah. and it's like, you guys, C.S. Lewis didn't say that. So, um, I do it all the time. Whenever I say, say something that people doubt me on in the office, let's go mess. C.S. Lewis. Yeah. We actually the space trilogy <laughs> because of you all didn't the, read it, huh? The space trilogy is the one you should fake. Um, I mean, yeah. And, and so now at the office, we attribute everything to C.S. Lewis, even things he clearly didn't say, like mm -hmm. what Kevin just added to the chat. Sam's hair was fearful and left his head. C.S. Lewis. Yeah. That's in, that's in till we have faces. Yeah, which is my favorite C.S. Lewis book. But um, Screw Tape Letters is a um, it's a book that's a obviously fictional set of letters written from a senior demon tempter to his nephew, kind of giving him instructions on how to tempt and mislead humanity. Um, and it's incredibly, incredibly insightful. We'll start off next week's Q&A with reading a couple excerpts Serps can't say that word. Excerpts, you got um, it. With from screw tape that like demonstrate how the demonic possibly works. Yeah, they're, they're great. They're highly really recommend. Good. It's short, um, but you can read it slow. Um, absolutely awesome. So, uh, oh, and we did start off the series with a with a, a quote from the screw tape letters introduction. So we have talked about it. But thank you, thank you, Caden, for uh, for throwing that in and welcome. Now, um, just to kind of wrap up with our last 10 minutes we talked about kind of what god has done in the spiritual war and what he's going to do it is worth commenting on what the scriptures have to say about what christians ought to do to yeah this is technically the most important thing um and so i, I would say where i want to start on this is this idea that you have referenced in passing a couple times in the series already it's from second corinthians we don't i won't show it on the screen but it's where paul says the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds and then when he defines what that means, he says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So what, what do you think that's talking about? Well, I mean, one, it's, it's technically what we're trying to do right now, what you all are doing right now, is there's arguments that present themselves, that exalt themselves above the knowledge of Christ. The philosophical, theological, cultural arguments that try to disprove or push aside the truths of Scripture and the gospel. And so part of what spiritual warfare means is to demonstrate the error of those arguments and show them how they're wrong and bring them into submission to Christ. So, excuse me, that's why we do Theology Thursday. That's why we do like apologetics, because 
there are things that are said that do not correspond to reality. And the Christian participates in spiritual warfare when they demonstrate the error. Now think about it too. So if you're a, a powerful spiritual being and you want to deceive people, yeah. do you wake up and be like, man, how can I get Sam to, to be a little cranky today? Because if he's really cranky, that's a win for me in the spiritual yeah. realm. Or even more ridiculous, I shouldn't say ridiculous, but even farther off, uh, you know, I, maybe I'll appear in his closet and scare him in the middle of the yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. Because honestly, that would probably drive you Straight to more to faith. And every, as a side note, every like dramatic spiritual encounter I've had, whether, you know, overseas on missions trips or here in the States, all of them have served that purpose. They have made me pray 10 times more that night yeah. than I would have normally. But what's interesting is that's uh, partially due because if you're in a materialist culture, you kind of don't believe in the spiritual reality. Right. So if you were to see something, you would turn to Jesus. But when you're in a culture that's highly saturated in multiple spiritual powers, a s evil spiritual being presenting itself and threatening you might make you just run to the, to the nearest doctor. shaman yeah. or witch doctor. So there's more, uh, maybe a possibility of more likely occurrence where in a materialist culture, the last thing a demon would want to do is confirm their identity. Right. So, um, but with that said, is you can... Oh man, I'm going to get Sam to be cranky today. And maybe, I mean, maybe you're the lowest possible demon. You've been given the easiest task because God knows in heaven how easy it is to make Sam cranky. <laughs> but what, what would be more resourceful than that would be, why don't I create a doctrine? Yeah, systems of thought. That twist the nature of God that denies the Trinity. We're going to say Jesus was merely a special, unique human who was adopted by the one true God. And let's say that religious cult takes off and has a hundred million followers. Yeah. Who gets the bigger payday in the spiritual realm right. type of thing? So if you're just thinking practically, the demonic would be highly involved with bad theology, false yeah. doctrine, and ways to get people's eyes off the true gospel. I mean, think about our entire false doctrine series. And how many people we showed videos of who call themselves brothers. I mean, Paul mm -hmm. would say, bear the name of brother. Like they say they are Christians yeah. who are teaching incredibly. Oh, you got a sweet message from your daughter. I love you too. Love Anaya. That's pretty sweet. Maybe Michelle walked away from the computer for a second. Um, I'm not, you know, it's not clear if she's talking to you or me, but we'll just assume it was you. Probably so, me. So, um, I mean, you have that. You have bestsellers who are teaching false doctrines that are absolutely leading people astray, you know, outside of the realm of Christian orthodoxy. Whenever there's a spiritual anything type of book that's selling in Amazon Top 100, it's like you read five pages of it and you go, oh my gosh, this yeah. is so bad. It's, it's not even internally consistent. No, not at like all. Like you don't even, you don't even have to disagree like you don't have to be a christian to know like this is doesn't this does, add up. it doesn't even make sense and so there's there's absolutely a um it's not like you know going and performing an exorcism or having like some crazy spiritual street fighter battle yeah but what paul talks about is very practically understanding what you believe being ready and able to to argue it against yeah false pre like preconceptions about Christianity and, and the world. And I think it actually dovetails with the most famous, um, also from Paul, Ephesians 6 and the armor of God. I mean, yeah. what is the armor of God that you put on to defend yourself against the evil one? It's the, I'll get it in order here um, and pull up Ephesians 6. I could 6. name them all, but I don't know if I could do it in order. Same here. Let's just agree that we could both name them all. We don't want to right now, but we could if we had to. No, I got it right here. Okay, here okay. we go. You got the helmet of salvation. Okay. You got the sword of the spirit. You're way out of order, but you do have... Yeah, word order don't matter in Greek. Um, <laughs> true statement. Um, <laughs> helmet of salvation, okay. breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, mm -hmm. the shoes or sandals, depending upon which translation you're reading. Mm -hmm. Um of, what are uh, those? The, the gospel of peace, you know, throw back to the OT, um, sort of the spirit and you said that one already. Helmet of salvation, breastplate, sort of uh, shield you, of faith. That's the one you missed. Right. Boom. He got them all. Deal, man. But again, these so are I'm a pastor, wait, 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 man. Wait, 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 did he say the belt of truth? Yeah, I said the belt. He of did. Truth, man. He did. He, and I mean, you get bonus points for saying breastplate of righteousness twice. So yeah, that's <laughs> actually how that works. So, but think about like what it's, what it's describing. Cause it's not like go to war with a crucifix and a special water yeah. and magic where it's righteousness, 
truth, truth, faith, salvation. And if you talk about going to war against lofty principles and false doctrines and false teachings, what you need is truth, righteousness, faith, mm-hmm. the helmet of salvation. I mean, that these are all of these things are things that are on on the one hand freely given to you through your, through faith in Jesus, and on the other hand, mm-hmm. the thing that you as a Christian develop to have a strong, robust spiritual life in Christianity. So that's the preparation for <laughs> everybody, everybody's laughing at, oh wait, hold on. Obsessive Gardener. Everyone knows that God exists. They suppress their knowledge of him in unrighteousness. I love that we don't have to prove God's existence. Yeah, he's he's thinking about Romans 1 and Paul saying that you know in your heart that God exists, but you suppress the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, the, the idea here, and this is, it's it's the opposite of pedestrian. It's taking something that feels like just regular Christian disciplines and saying this is what spiritual warfare actually is. Mm-hmm. So when James says resist the devil and he will fr- flee from you, this is what he's talking about. Yeah. It's not some kind of crazy magical battle. It's just you do the things that Christians have always done for 2,000 years of knowing what you believe, of being in communication with God, of having that kind of assurance of salvation, the readiness of the gospel. Um and so there's, you know, the the really encouraging truth is that all throughout the Bible, when it's talked about, there there's a um, assurance that you are safe if you have entrusted yourself to Jesus. And that's mm-hmm. kind of back to the point about those seven sons of Sceva and the question that was asked, uh, that they try to confront this demon and they get thrown away because it's not just having the name of Jesus on your lips that matters, but having yeah. having actually been... In the spiritual realm... There's no armor there. There's nothing there. And so the question is, are you under the authority and protection of the one under whom all of these beings sit? Yeah. What's in, I mean, we don't have time to get into this, but what's what in Ephesians, it's not just like, who are you under? He talks about you being transferred over into the domain of the kingdom and and the righteous rather than being the domain of Satan. And so it's like, you physically occupy the same space. Yeah. But Paul is dabbling with his words and it's almost saying like, no, in the spiritual realm, you don't even belong in the same domain. Yeah, you have been transferred out of the sphere of their authority and into the kingdom of light. And so that's where, you know, Second Thessalonians 3, 3 says, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. We already talked about um, that he's disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them... Um, to open shame. And then the last one we can end with this one is um, it's from Luke where Jesus sends out the 72 and gives them authority and they do this stuff and they come back and they're rejoicing that they've been given authority over demons. Like, hey, we're, demons are running from us when we, when we cast them out. And the thing that Jesus says is, do not rejoice in this. Specifically, he said, well, before that he says, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Yeah. So Jesus, even in that moment of triumph, almost tempers that and says like, hey, it's not about yeah. these individual spiritual battles. The main thing you should rejoice in yeah. is that your names are written in heaven. And that's what we just talked about, that you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness in, winst, uh, um, in which you once walked, is what Paul says yeah. in Ephesians. And you've been brought under the authority and protection of the king who's already conquered these enemies. So there's kind of, I think there's a, a default posture of confidence that the Christian should have in the spiritual world. Again, not that this stuff doesn't exist. And again, you and I have had straight up like scary experiences with this stuff, but your default posture is I am confident in the face of spiritual evil, not because I know magic words or have like the formula or um, am spiritually awesome and tough myself, but because I am under the authority and protection yeah. of the conquering king who already Be, defeated And that's them. where the confusion is. The name of Jesus is not a pronunciation of syllables. Being under his name is being in him, under him, uh, belonging to him. If an ancient knight did something in the name of the king, it wasn't just because he pronounced the name of the king. Yeah. It was under that. And so the Christian is those things. And then the way, way we engage in the spiritual warfare is like a lot more simple than you may think. Reading your Bible, yeah. making sure you're grounded in the gospel, loving God and loving your neighbors, yeah. not losing sight of your first love, which is, which is God. It's like you want it to be a lot more epic. Yeah. But that's not real life. 
Yeah. And every so often you might be like an apostle or Jesus and encounter something. And in those moments you've built the spiritual fortitude and backbone to be able to deal with those types of things in those situations. But you do those by just being a faithful Christian day in and day out yeah. doing the fundamentals. And on a really practical level, that's how you know how to engage those lofty arguments that raise themselves against the truth also is by, you know what you believe, you read the Bible, you pray, it's amazing yep. how often when you talk about like what should a Christian do in this, that, or the other area, it comes down to that same basic stuff that you read scripture, you cultivate a life of prayer and connection with God, you love your neighbor. I mean, it's like, there you go. So, um, yeah, hey, thank you guys for, uh, for the interaction in the chat. If you um, came late, Q&A next. Yeah, next week we'll do a Q&A on all this stuff. So if you have any questions about angels, demons, the spiritual world, Genesis 6, Nephilim, whatever. Sushi. Um, sushi. Whatever it may be. Send in your questions to me and um, feel free to come with them in person too. And we'll see you next week to do that. See you guys later. God bless. <laughs>